What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SubChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup of news and a selection of full stories, plus conversations with reporters and editors from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Cynical Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, our weekly review of business stories from Caixin and beyond. The hometown of e-commerce giant Alibaba is tapping the company's technology prowess to set up an online property rental platform as the central government encourages cities to offer more housing options to residents amid a shortage of affordable homes. Hangzhou's Housing Security and Management Bureau has signed an agreement with Alibaba and Ant Financial to use their information verification and credit scoring technologies, the two sides said, in separate statements on Wednesday. The project will resolve the multiple prominent problems in the house rental market, such as fake information, volatile relations between landlords and tenants, and irregular rental practices, the Bureau said in its statement. The McDonald's fast food chain will expand its number of restaurants in China to 4,500 within five years. The new restaurants will be mainly in smaller third and fourth tier cities. McDonald's is aiming to boost its proportion of outlets in these cities to 45%, up from the current 35%, McDonald's China CEO said on Tuesday. The announcement comes after McDonald's completed a spin-off of its China operations and set up a new joint venture with Civic Limited, Civic Capital, and Carlyle Capital. Under the agreement, the new group will own the existing 2,700 McDonald's restaurants on the Chinese mainland and in Hong Kong for the next 20 years. One of China's largest online literature platforms has sued its largest provider, accusing it of cutting off supplies in a market where reading on smartphones and tablet PCs has become big business. According to the suit filed in the city of Hangzhou, Migu accuses China Reading, the online literature arm of Tencent, of breaching agreements between the two sides by failing to provide it with literary products. Migu believes the bone of contention may lie in its recently introduced plan to allow subscribers unlimited access to products on its platform for 9.9 yuan, $1.48 per month. China Reading relies on intellectual property fees for its products and may have balked at making so many of its products available for such a low cost. China is considering forbidding privately owned banks from joining with unlicensed lenders to create larger loan pools. Privately owned banks often struggle with limited access to the funding. Over the past several years, these banks have teamed up with other financial institutions, some of which were unlicensed lenders, to create a large enough pool of loans. 
The problem with this joint lending practice is that unlicensed lenders may introduce new risks to the broader financial system, market watchers said. China's foreign exchange reserves increased for the sixth straight month in July, hitting the highest level since October, as the government continued its crackdown on capital outflows and a weaker dollar boosted the value of assets denominated in other currencies. The reserves, the world's highest, rose to $3.0807 trillion last month, up from $3.0568 trillion in June. The increase of $23.9 billion was the second highest this year and compared with a gain of $3.22 billion in June. China is considering forbidding privately owned banks from joining with unlicensed lenders to create larger loan pools. Privately owned banks often struggle with limited access to the funding. Over the past several years, these banks have teamed up with other financial institutions, some of which were unlicensed lenders, to create a large enough pool of loans. The problem with this joint lending practice is that unlicensed lenders may introduce new risks to the broader financial system, market watchers said. Visa Inc. has recently applied to China's central bank for a license to conduct a domestic bank card clearing business, a $110 trillion market monopolized by state-controlled China UnionPay. While global bank card network operators, including Visa, can issue credit cards jointly with domestic Chinese banks, non-Chinese players have long been denied direct access to the country's growing card-clearing market and thus must rely on union pay. Although the World Trade Organization ruled in 2012 that China was violating WTO rules by requiring all UN bank card transactions to be handled by the union pay network, the clearing market wasn't officially opened until May. Let's turn now to some of Caixin's editors and writers for an update on some of the biggest news this week. First up is Doug Young, senior editor at Caixin. So Doug, you spoke to us a few weeks ago about Tencent's blockbuster mobile game, Honor of Kings. Uh, briefly catch us up on the background here before we touch on the new developments, would you? So the story this week is a story that actually goes back three weeks. And honestly, it goes back probably two or three years it all revolves around this game that Tencent, which is China's biggest online game company, they've developed. It's called Honor of Kings. And this game, it's a bit unusual. It takes advantage of Tencent's social networking platforms, and it brings people together in teams to compete against other teams. And, you know, it really plays on Tencent's gaming strength and its social networking strength. And this game, Honor of Kings, has just become this runaway sensation So much so that People's Daily, which is the Communist Party newspaper, really sort of criticized them and Tencent reacted by limiting playtime by minors to one and two hours a day. So the new new development is really incremental based on that. But now we have apparently one of the official newspapers of the Chinese People's Liberation Army has come out with a slightly different take, but the overall tone is that this game is a bit dangerous, it's addictive. In this case, the people who are getting addicted are China's soldiers, China's military, these young, impressionable men, you know, anywhere from age 18, probably up to their mid to late 20s. The editorial itself is is almost funny the way it reads. It says these guys get off duty and I guess they're allowed to use their cell phones after they're off duty and they, they just go and like instantly turn on their cell phones and you walk into their dorm rooms and they're all sitting around glued to their cell phones playing Honor of Kings. And they even likened it to uh, the opium that uh, gripped China back in the 1800s. So that's interesting comparison and, and maybe even a little bit ominous. 
So Honor of Kings is a cash cow for Tencent, and they clearly want to protect it from being shut down. As you say, the company's response last time there was criticism was to limit playing time for miners. Have they responded to this latest criticism? No, they haven't. I mean, this is pretty cutting-edge stuff. I think the military editorial just came out, so Tencent might still be thinking it over. The problem here is that these military people are all over the age of 18, and the past restrictions were really aimed at minors. I honestly can't see Tencent doing anything to restrict the activities of adults who you know, should be able to make their own decisions and, and do things. So it could be a tough situation. I think in this case, maybe the military is the one that needs to take more assertive action, maybe to limit the access of these soldiers to their smartphones. But so far, I haven't heard anything from Tencent. But that said, the military is, is certainly not a force you want to play around with too much. So perhaps we'll try and see Tencent do something, although I'm not really sure what that might be. So any lessons here for companies that find themselves in the official media and government crosshairs? Well, I think the thing to do, and, and these guys are probably all quite good at it, is that you just have to have your antenna out there all the time and listen for things coming. I'm sure these signals didn't come out of a vacuum I'm sure there was probably lots of buzz on social media, lots of complaining girlfriends, maybe complaining about their boyfriends being hooked on this game too much. Lots of complaining parents talking about the destructive effects of this game on their kids doing their homework. You just really need in China to be in tune with that kind of stuff. And then, of course, if there's ever any official mention on official media, even if it's just in passing, you probably need to watch out for that. You know, These are all sort of trouble signs that something may be coming. And any company operating in China, as soon as you see these warning signs, you probably need to take a bit more proactive measures. Thanks, as always, Doug. Let's turn now to Liu Xiao Lucy, uh, a finance reporter at Caixin, who's going to give us an update about what's new in the world of that slow motion train wreck called Le Echo. It came to light last week that Le Echo was going to invest in an insurance company. The insurance company would basically provide general insurance to companies that participated in the Belt and Road Initiative. And the firm would uncreatively be called the Belt and Road Property Insurance Company. And then what we learned this week from executives at the company was that Le Echo has given up this plan. So it will no longer be an investor in this insurance company. So I think this is basically a very bad piece of news for Laeco and quite badly timed. As I said, the way that we learned about this was through a stock market filing for one of the seven firms that uh, had planned to invest in the insurance company. So it wasn't an announcement by Laeco. And so I think once it came out, executives and management were basically forced to then make a decision. And of course, what they told Tyson was that given the company's current financial condition, it really doesn't have the capacity to make external investments. And I think that's certainly true. Of course, we don't know how much Le Echo owes all of its creditors through its various branches and units. But from its listed unit, we know that it had almost 20 billion yuan in total liabilities by the end of March, which is more than half of its total assets. And so actually, really, in comparison to what it had planned to invest in this insurance company, uh, which is about 65 million yuan, it's quite a relatively a small amount. So when the plan came to light, of course, a lot of suppliers and creditors, um, of course, they were very angry because we know some of them have camped out by Leco headquarters um, to demand payment for their funds. 
And of course, just to give some background, um, Leeco basically, as a result of its aggressive expansion plans, um, has had a lot of cash problems um, since last year, but it really sort of blew up the beginning of this year. And it's continued and it hasn't, despite investment into the company, been able to really turn it around and pay back its creditors. So when creditors learned about this plan to invest the Echo's own funds into another business, the issue no longer became, does Laeco have the capability to pay them back, but does it really have the intention to? Because it certainly seems to have this $65 million, which it has pledged to fund an investment firm. And now for our selection of important stories from Tyson Global for the week. We'll hear how securities regulators have churned up more cases of market manipulation involving networks of multiple individuals, funds, and accounts. We'll hear why Wanda's Hong Kong-listed unit has seen its stock price soar after its reorganization and some key acquisitions. And we'll tell you about the new guidelines from the Chinese banking regulator encouraging debt for equity swaps by struggling companies in hopes of avoiding default. From Finance, Collusion Network's Increasingly Common Form of Market Rigging in China by Liu Xiao and Yue Yue. Collusion involving large networks of individuals and funds is an increasingly popular form of stock market manipulation in China, the country's security regulator concluded from its latest investigation. Despite a high-profile sentence of an infamous fund manager accused of rigging the market, as well as record fines handed down by the China Securities Regulatory Commission, or CSRC, this year, the regulator's latest probe that started in April has uncovered more manipulation cases involving larger groups of colluders, spokesman Gao Li said last Friday. Declining to identify the individuals or the companies, Gao offered details on several specific cases. In one case, managers and directors at a listed firm colluded with private equity firms to orchestrate the timing of company announcements such as share placements or stock splits, Gao said. More than 200 securities accounts were used to buy and sell shares, often from each other. This market manipulation tactic was made infamous by Xu Xiang, a former billionaire hedge fund manager who was sentenced to five and a half years in prison in January. Xu was found guilty of colluding with senior executives of 13 listed companies from 2010 to 2015 to issue positive news about companies to boost prices and lure retail investors. The executives and funds managed by Xu then dumped their stock at the higher prices. In another case that the regulator is still investing, a person with control over a listed firm created and led a team that was tasked with artificially inflating share prices. The group raised several billion yuan and operated more than 300 securities accounts to make transactions that artificially buoyed prices, often to daily trading limits. The group targeted new stocks that had been listed for less than a year, which are considered to have higher growth potential than blue-chip stocks. A variation of the method was used by someone with control over a firm listed on China's over-the-counter stock trading platform. Through fund management plans, shell companies, and other people's securities accounts, this person orchestrated continuous trading to make the firm look more attractive to market makers and investors before dumping shares. Earlier this year, the securities regulator made it more difficult for large shareholders to dispose of their shares to reduce market volatility and encourage long-term investment. 
The CSRC's fines for market manipulation totaled 6.36 billion yuan in the first half of the year, 1.5 times higher than during the same period in 2017 and more than the total amount of fines it gave in 2015. From Business and Tech, Wendell rebuilds Hong Kong-listed unit as theme park hotel manager by Yang Ge. Wendell Group, one of China's leading real estate and entertainment companies, announced a major overhaul of its Hong Kong-listed hotel arm, aiming to transform it into a management company for its national chain of hotels and theme parks. The announcement by Wanda Hotel Development Company Limited late on Wednesday came weeks after its parents said it will sell off most of its hotels and theme parks to focus on the less capital-intensive business of property management. It also came as Wanda, controlled by one of China's richest men, Wang Jianlin, seeks to lower the huge debt load it accrued during its breakneck expansion over the last five years. Shares of Hong Kong-listed Wanda Hotel Development surged 20% early on Thursday after trading resumed following a brief suspension pending an announcement. The stock now trades at a two-year high, although it's still at just a third of its highs attained during China's stock market rally of 2013. Under the reorganization, Wanda Hotel Development will acquire Wanda Culture Travel Innovation Group for 6.3 billion yuan, or 943 million U.S. dollars, paid either in cash through the issue of shares or convertible bonds, Wanda Hotel Development said in its filing to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Wanda Hotel Development will also acquire another sister company, Wanda Hotel Management, for 750 million yuan in cash, it added. Wanda Culture Travel and Wanda Hotel Management are both principally service companies that design and manage theme parks and hotels, respectively. As part of the reorganization, Wanda Hotel Development will also dispose of its interest in four companies with real estate holdings in China, the U.S., Britain, and Australia to another sister company, Dalian Wanda Commercial, for an undisclosed price. After the above transactions, Wanda Hotel Development will become a strategic platform as Wanda Group's Hong Kong-listed company focusing on theme park and hotel operation and management, Wanda said in a separate statement. The overhaul is the latest for Wanda Group, which is trying to build an asset light leisure and entertainment giant similar to big Western names like Walt Disney Company and Marriott International Inc., which focus on theme park and property management for third-party property owners. Such a strategy provides higher margins and requires far less capital than actual property development and ownership, which was Wanda's original focus. As part of that strategy, Wanda Group announced a major deal last month to sell its 13 theme parks and 77 hotels to two separate buyers for a combined 64 billion yuan. The company is also being pressured by a heavy debt load accrued through an aggressive domestic and global expansion over the last five years that includes its $2.6 billion purchase of U.S. theater chain operator AMC Entertainment in 2012 and Hollywood Studio Legendary Entertainment for $3.5 billion U.S. last year. From Finance China Sets Guidelines on Debt Relief Program for Struggling Corporations by Lung Cheng. Beijing As Chinese banks set up their own distressed asset managers, the regulator has laid out detailed guidelines in a bid to inject discipline into government-endorsed debt relief programs. While unprofitable state-owned or private enterprises struggle to repay their debts, the government proposed early last year that creditors could offer to take equity stakes for debt to avoid pushing debtors into default. 
Prior to this new rule, Chinese banks were not allowed to hold equity in any non-banking institutions. This so-called debt-for-equity swap program is the government's latest market-based tool to tackle the country's ballooning debt. But market watchers said that without clearly defined rules, banks were not keen to swap stakes for bad loans. Meanwhile, other debt restructuring practices, such as securitizing bad loans, continue to help China clean up trillions of yuan in sour debts in and outside of the formal banking system. In the latest guidelines issued Tuesday by the China Banking Regulatory Commission, CBRC, a bank can create a subsidiary to absorb toxic assets and segregate them from the rest of the institution. The unit would convert the bad loans into equity stakes in the debtors, usually at a price and time agreed between them. The unit must have a registered capital of at least 10 billion yuan, $1.49 billion, the guidelines added. The bank must also have at least a 50% stake in the unit, should be the unit's largest shareholder, and cannot sell down its stake within five years, the guidelines said. The unit also must not accept guarantee or repurchase commitment from debtors. Meanwhile, the unit must not use funding offered by debtors to purchase its own debts, the guidelines said. David Yin, a banking analyst at Moody's Investors Service, said, these requirements, if strictly implemented, could help improve the transparency of swap transactions. Since the program kicked off in early 2016, 65 agreements were signed that let creditors swap their stakes for debt. However, only 10 debt-for-equity swaps were completed, addressing 73.45 billion yuan worth of loans, according to data compiled by financial service provider WIND. CBRC reiterated in the draft that zombie companies, which are largely non-operational due to excess capacity, cannot roll over their debts via swapping equity with creditors. That's this week's show. Thanks for joining us. Drop me an email at kaiser at subchina.com with your feedback. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo with stories by the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin and Tanner Brown of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out the Seneca Podcast, the current affairs show I host with Jeremy Goldcorn, and follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care. <laughs>